The House, the Senate, and a special prosecutor at the Department of Justice are all investigating whether Trump campaign and transition officials colluded with the Russian government during and after last year's presidential campaign. Recent reports have indicated that the FBI is interested in contacts between the Russian government and the president's son-in-law and close advisor Jared Kushner, for instance. And the House and Senate Intelligence Committees have asked the president's personal lawyer, Michael Cohen, to cooperate with their investigation. But he has said he will not cooperate unless he's issued a subpoena. We're going to be talking about the investigations going on into uh, possible collusion with the Russians with uh, two guests today, Andy Wright, a professor at Savannah Law School, and former federal prosecutor Renato Mariotti, who is a partner at Thompson Coburn. Renato, let's start with Michael Cohen. Why would the investigators be interested in talking to the president's personal, getting information from the president's personal attorney? Well, the uh, an attorney's communications with his client are privileged, but when the attorney is not acting as a lawyer, his actions are judged just like anyone else's actions. So, for example, there have been press reports that that Mr. Cohen was communicating with the Russians on his own, was actually traveling overseas and having meetings. I believe there was a, a report about a meeting in Prague. If hypothetically an attorney was having a meeting with foreign officials, um, you know, that meeting would not be privileged. The only privileged communications would be the communications that Mr. Cohen would have with his client, uh, the president. So, you know, he, Mr. Cohen would be would be investigated just like any other individual who's having contacts with foreign governments. But, um, Andy, do you expect to see if he is subpoenaed, which it seems likely, and he testifies that he is going to be invoking that privilege and there's going to have to be a decision made as to whether or not it applies? You're going to say that's based on conversations I had with my client, and off we go. Yeah, well, so if he receives a subpoena, uh, it'll first of all depend on the scope of the subpoena, and if the scope of that subpoena reaches his communications with his client, then this issue is presented. Now, let's say he wanted to assert attorney-client privilege on behalf of his client, President Donald J. Trump. Um, he would have to establish both sort of for each document that was uh, within the scope of the subpoena, what the basis is for withholding that. So first point is it's a document-by-document level analysis. Um, the courts have just held this uh, in the dispute with Eric Holder and Lynch about Operation Fast and Furious. And the second uh, fact is that he is going to have to uh, present that to the chair of the committee. So the House chair, House Intelligence Committee chair, will be the one who makes the initial legal ruling as to the applicability of the privilege to his um, his conversations with his client. And so, of course, since the committee is the one asking for those documents, unlike a court, where it's the prosecutor or the grand jury asking for the documents, and the judge decides here it's the same person that's requesting and subpoenaing the documents that makes the initial legal ruling. Renato, there have been reports that, um, you know, Mr. Cohen has functioned in a lot of different capacities over the years for, for now President Trump, uh, business capacities, et cetera. He was, uh, seemed to be something of a spokesman at times uh, during the campaign. If you were conducting this investigation how, and you were going to issue a subpoena to him, how would you go about uh, framing it in order to ensure that, you know, you wouldn't get caught up, say, in a motion to quash the subpoena? So I would, if I, what I would do is I would narrowly tailor the the subpoena so that, or, or if I was, 
Yeah, well, either I would narrowly tailor the subpoena up front or I'd write a broad subpoena and negotiate with Mr. Cohen, with Mr. Cohen a near, a narrow, uh, to narrow the scope of the subpoena so that I made sure I was only requesting communications that wouldn't be privileged. So for what that would be is, first of all, communications that were not attorney-client communications between him and Mr. Trump, and also not, nothing that was potentially happened after uh, Mr. Trump's election that would arguably be subject to executive privilege. So I would, I would ask for categories of documents, like, for example, Mr. Cohen's travel records, Mr. Cohen's personal communications with um, you know, with foreign entities, th- things that it would be very difficult for Mr. Cohen would argue are privileged. President Trump has called allegations that his campaign colluded with the Russian government fake news. But now CNN reports that former FBI Director James Comey will testify before the Senate Intelligence Committee about allegations that the president pressured him to end the FBI's investigation into the matter. We've been talking on Bloomberg Law today about the president's personal attorney, Michael Cohen, who has so far refused to cooperate with the House and Senate Intelligence Committee's investigations without a subpoena. And former National Security Advisor Michael Flynn, who had been resisting subpoenas, has now agreed to turn over some documents to the Senate Intelligence Committee. Our guests talking about all of these events and uh, developments in the in the ongoing investigations are Renato Mariotti, a partner at Thompson Coburn, who's a former federal prosecutor, and Professor Andy Wright of Savannah Law School. Andy, what is the Senate Intelligence Committee and potentially the House Intelligence Committee and the FBI, or the, the Justice Department, I should say, looking for from Michael Flynn? Well, from Michael Flynn, they've got several different lines of inquiry. One relates to his... Uh, emoluments or payments from Russia Today, RT, um, and whether that violated um, the emoluments responsibilities he had as a general, his relationship with um, Turkish-affiliated entities under the Foreign Agent Registration Act, um, whether he was truthful with the FBI when they when they uh, questioned him about his Russia contacts, which it appears that he may not have been. Um, potentially what he was saying internally to the White House and what he was telling other senior officials, including the vice president, about those contacts with Russia. And then some questions about his actual communications with Russia themselves, including uh, the discussion of sanctions, which he'd originally denied, and whether or not that might create some sort of Logan Act liability, although that's a statute that is rarely used. Renato, let's discuss the sort of line he and his attorney are walking because he had previously invoked his Fifth Amendment protection against self-incrimination in denying earlier requests by the committee. Now he is going to comply with two subpoenas sent to his businesses and also apparently Mm -hmm. personal documents sought via a separate subpoena. So what what does he and his attorney, what are they looking at and having to worry about here? Well, so first of all, the reason that he is not a is not uh, continuing to fight the subpoena to his business is because businesses don't have Fifth Amendment rights, at least under established court precedent. So it's very difficult for him to get around that subpoena. Um, as to his personal documents, one thing I think we can glean so far is that clearly um, Mr. Flynn has documents in his possession that his attorneys believe 
um, w- incriminate him. And in fact, what they're essentially assert- asserting is that the mere production, of, the mere, um, the, the the mere possession of those documents, or revealing that he is the person who possesses those documents, themselves would incriminate. That alone, that act of of showing that would it would itself incriminate him, which is why they have resisted the subpoena. In other words. It's not just the contents of it, but just the mere possession of those documents. So this, so what they're going to provide, can we be pretty sure, is going to be pretty clean. I, I would, what I would, th- what I would think is that unless, unless the documents are in the possession of the business entities. Yes, I think that they will. I think they will be documents that are not going to incriminate him because they've already um, very aggressively uh, asserted Fifth Amendment privilege as to the, his the documents that were um, uh, that were subpoenaed from him personally. Andy, this seems to the, the investigation. I mean, you have so many things going on now. Uh, in these investigations, you have a special prosecutor appointed. Now we have a report that Comey is going to testify. Um, things seem to be heating up a lot and moving a lot faster than they were. Can we expect a conclusion to any of this anytime soon, or is this going to still look like the kind of investigation that could embroil an administration for, you know, in in subpoenas and and document requests and testimony for years? Yeah, I think everyone needs to brace themselves that this is not going to be wrapped up with a bow anytime soon. Both, um, you know, criminal investigations have their own pacing and congressional investigations do as well. Part of it is that there are so many different people and so many different potential leads that need to be chased down and, and that that's going to take a lot of time to just get the investigators' arms around the various things they want to inquire in. Plus, once they get the documents and they get the information that they're trying to seek now with these various subpoenas and requests and testimony, they're going to have to go through them. They're going to have to read the documents, analyze them, put them in chronological order, and try and draw some conclusions um, You know, on the, on the criminal side, whether there were criminal statutes violated, and on the congressional side, whether or not there are policies, appropriations, or other um, remedial actions that Congress needs to take. And, Renato, do you believe that... Uh, Mueller's investigation is going to move more rapidly than the congressional investigations because of he has more power. Uh, I don't think it's going to move rapidly at all. Uh, I would be surprised if Mr. Mueller's investigation didn't take many months or or potentially well over a year. Uh, it, criminal investigations take a long time. I expect Mr. Mueller to dig in, interview everyone, um, you know, even tangentially connected to this. He'd subpoena a lot of documents um, and and operate at a slow, deliberate play, pace. I mean, he's a man who has a great reputation, who knows that the work he's doing is very important and is going to be heavily scrutinized. And I don't think he's going to take any action until um, he has all of his ducks in a row. Our thanks to Renato Mariotti, a partner at Thompson Coburn, and Andy Wright, professor at Savannah Law School, for being with us today on Bloomberg Law to talk about the various investigations into the possible collusion between the Trump campaign and Russia.